uh, Amos chapter 8 and chapter 9. Amos. Amos is where we're going to be. If you did not bring a Bible, that's okay. There's a blue one underneath the seat you're sitting in. You just got to reach down there, pull that out. I promise you're going to want a Bible, right? Because we're going to be walking through a lot of Amos this morning. Uh, Amos 8 and 9 in the Blue Bible starts on page 858. 858 in the Blue Bible. If you're looking for it in your own Bible, uh, flip to the, to the very end of the Old Testament. It's there in the Minor Prophets. You'll find Amos. Um, Obadiah is one of the larger minor prophets. If you hit Obadiah, you've gone a little too far, just back up one, all right? Amos is where we're going to be this morning. Um, and as you're flipping there, right, this is, this is our last Sunday in Advent, amen? All right? For, so for those of you who have been with us for all four Sundays, you're like, amen, right? Okay, right? It's been a little bit of a beatdown, uh, and just fair warning, uh, it continues this morning. Uh, the minor prophets, that's what they, they're good at, they just kind of beat us down. Um, Advent, we've talked about this again and again and again, Advent is meant to awaken us, open our eyes, open our souls, awaken our souls to what life would be like and what eternity would be like without Jesus. Without the coming king, without the king who's coming again. And, in there, and therefore, as we are awakened to this, our hunger for the king increases. Our desire for the king increases. Our joy in the king increases. Our, our pleasure and our delight in the king increases. And so we must learn to love the hard work. My little kid, he's in wrestling. And one of the core things I've been trying to teach him is, man, you got to learn to love hard work. You want to be good at wrestling, you got to learn to love hard work, right? That's true for a lot of sports. You got to love the hard work. But it's true, it's true for our relationship with Jesus too. We've got to learn to love hard work. And as we learn to love hard work, we become a people who see Jesus in a new and fresh way. So we're going to do some hard work this morning, all right? Everybody's like, oh, zero response. Okay, awesome. Well, buckle up, buttercup. Here we go. Amos chapter 8, verse 4. If you're able, would you stand with me for the reading of God's word in honor and reverence to it? My goodness, you, better, you guys better get ready. Hear this, you who trample on the needy and bring the poor of the land to an end saying, when will the new moon be over that we may sell grain and the Sabbath that we may offer wheat for sale, that we may make an ephah small and a shekel great and deal deceitfully with false balances, that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals and sell the chaff of the wheat. The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, Surely I will never forget any of their deeds. Shall not the land tremble on account of this? And everyone mourn who dwells in it. And all but rise like the Nile and be tossed about and sink again like the Nile of Egypt. On that day, declares the Lord, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your feast into mourning. And all your songs into lament, I'll bring sackcloth on every waist and baldness on every head. I'll make it like the morning for an only son, and the end of it like a bitter day. Moving on to chapter 9, starting in verse 11. In that day, 
I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen and repair its branches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, that, there may, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and the, and the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. The mountains shall, shall drip sweet wine, and all the hills shall flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people, Israel, and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine, and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them on their land, and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them says the Lord your God. This is the word of the Lord. You guys can have a seat. Amos. Amos, the minor prophet, right? This is our last kind of dive into a minor prophet. And this morning, uh, Amos gives us a beautiful picture uh, of uh, the first advent of Jesus. And he gives us a beautiful picture of the second advent of Jesus. And we're going to look at those. But before we do, I want to kind of do a little bit of the groundwork and kind of set the stage for Amos. Amos, a minor prophet, we call them minor prophets not because they're less than, but because their works were just shorter. Right? They just didn't, they're not as much collected, as much written from them. Um, and what we have in, in Amos, or the book of Amos, is a collection of his works, of his writings, right? Um, we have poet, poems. A, Amos was a poet. So there's a number of poems in the book of Amos. He was a prophet. We have prophecies. We have visions that God gave him and sermons that he preached. Amos lived, remember, Israel was split into two kingdoms. You had Israel to the north and Judah to the south, and Amos was born in Judah. That's where he was born, that's where he grew up, that's where he was raised. But he goes to the northern kingdom of Israel in his day to prophesy against Israel. This is what the minor prophets did. They prophesied against Israel. Israel was ruled in that day by a king. His name was Jeroboam, King Jeroboam. It's a fun name to say. Jeroboam ruled as king, and he was a successful king. He was successful in battle. He was successful financially. He made a lot of money. The kingdom was, was, was fat. It was wealthy, um, and they, they kind of dominated in, in his day. However, he was not very successful when it came to spirituality. He was not very successful. He was not a very faithful king, right, to God. Um, and so you have a leader of low character in, in high power. Right? High power, high wealth, high success, low character, right? I don't know if you can think of any leaders like that. I don't know if you can just put some in your mind that might be that way. Last gathering, somebody started shouting them out like, stop, no. Like, that's a rhetorical question. Listen, like, you know what happens when you have low character and high power and high success and high wealth. You know what happens? It's corruption. Corruption infests everything that that leader touches. And that's what happens in the days of Jeroboam. The people of Israel become a corrupt people. Right? The, the middle class is kind of eradicated. And you have the, the upper class that's taking advantage of the lower class. And we see this again and again and again and again. We see the, the poor and the needy and the outcast uh, being abused, being taken advantage of. And the wealthier and the rich just keep getting richer. The rich get richer and the poor get poor. That's what we see. What we see is injustice. And what you cannot, if you want to talk about Amos, you've got to talk about justice. You've got to talk about justice. And this is what we see. This is the theme of Amos, is, the, is, is God's heart for justice. The first thing that I want you to see this morning, if you're taking notes, the first thing I want you to see is this. God loves justice because God loves 
you. God loves justice because God loves you. We see this throughout all of Amos. It's going to take a little while for me to kind of fully un- unpack that and flush that out. But that's what I want you to see this morning as we talk about Amos. Amos, the most famous verse in the whole book, right? You've, you've seen this. Whether you realize it or not, you've, you've seen it on a bumper sticker or on a mug or a t-shirt or on the bottom of your french fries at In-N-Out, right? It's Amos 5.24. This is the famous verse. It just reads this way. It says, But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like, ever, like an ever-flowing stream. Let justice roll. Anybody ever hear that? Let justice roll. Martin Luther King made that famous, right? Let justice roll. You guys have heard that phrase before. That comes from Amos. You probably couldn't quote any other verse from Amos, but that's the one that everybody knows. I'm going to give that verse a little bit of context this morning. Let's back up. Let's look at verse 21, chapter 5, as we talk about the kind of the theme of Amos. God says this through Amos. He says, I hate, I hate, I despise your feast I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and the grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fatted animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps. I will not listen. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. This is the condition of the nation of Israel. You have a people. They're still Israelites, all right? They're still Israelites. They're going through all of their religious um, motions. They're doing all the religious things that they're supposed to do, right? They're offering their sacrifices. They're, they're going through the rituals. They're doing all the things that they're supposed to do. They're participating in the feasts and the Sabbath. They're doing all the right things, right things, that they're supposed to do to check it off the box, but then they're just going about and just living lives that are opposite of everything that God has called them to. It's a corrupt people. They're taking advantage of their neighbor, and Israel is taking advantage of itself. And God says, you think that I delight in this? Right? Some of you know this. You've experienced this. You've grown up in a culture where people on, a, on the surface are very religious, and they're very faithful, and they want everybody to see all their good deeds and see all the right, I've checked off all the right things, look how good I am, I've done all the right things, I've earned all the merit badges, right? But in reality, they're just like everybody else. They're doing all the corrupt things that everybody else is doing, right? You know this. God thinks, you think I delight in this? I don't delight in this. I don't care what merit badges you've earned. I don't care what deeds you've accomplished. I don't want any of that. What I want is justice and righteousness. And I want it to roll like water, like ever-flowing stream. That's what I want for my people. That's what I want for my people. That's what I want to see in my people. This is the theme of Amos. And why does God want this so badly? God wants justice because he loves justice. And God loves justice because God loves you. God loves justice because God loves you. And he does so perfectly. Our God, the God that we celebrate and the God that we've sung to you this morning, the God that we sing to you every single week and the God that we pray to you is a God of perfect love and perfect justice. And you cannot have a God of perfect love without a God of perfect justice. You can't, you can't separate the two. You, you cannot possibly separate the two. God loves the people of Israel and therefore he demands justice. Justice in its simplest form is just the right treatment of another human being, a right and fair treatment. He wants you to be treated right and fairly because he loves you, okay? If he doesn't love you, then he doesn't give a rip how you're treated. 
And so when he sees injustice taking place in Israel, right, he calls them to justice because he loves them. If you love somebody, you want them to be treated just. I love my boys. I want them to be treated justice. I love justice for their life. My wife loves me. Therefore, she loves justice for my life. She wants me to be treated justly, right? This just makes sense. You cannot have love without a love for justice. If you love somebody, you love justice in their life. You want to see justice in their life. We want other people to be treated justly. We love justice. We love justice. We are people who, who when we see injustice, we're enraged by it, right? We're enraged by injustice. And when we see justice, we celebrate it and we delight in it, right? When, when you hear the story on the news of the criminal that was convicted for 20 years and they find out the guy never did it, right? There's something in you that's just like, Ugh! like you just want to vomit because it's like injustice. He was in prison for 20 years. But yet there's also a celebration of justice. Like there's a mix of mother. There's something in us that's like awakened when we see true justice play out or true injustice, right? My dad... My dad was the head of crime scene for the state of Illinois. I, I grew up uh, in like the craziest house, okay? Uh, I saw all kinds of crazy things as a kid. Um, and he, he led the state crime lab. And so that he investigated all these famous murders and homicides, rapes, and crazy stuff all the time, okay? My, my dad um, was doing this at a time before like DNA was like really a thing. It was this up-and-coming science. And they could see like in the future, like this is going to change everything. But at the time, they didn't have the technology. They didn't have the technology. They couldn't use it. Like, this is old school, man. They're like fingerprints, all right? There's no DNA. Right? They're lifting fingerprints with brushes, right? And so my dad kind of sees this technology coming, and he says to all of his crime scene techs, hey, when you're on a scene, when you're on the scene of a murder or whatever, right, I want you to collect every ounce of DNA, any fluid, any blood, any hair. I want it all. I can't do anything with it, but I want it. Sure enough, my dad retires, and years later, he's getting phone call after phone call after phone call. He's like, Gary, remember that case back in 1982? Remember that guy? Remember the tooth you found in the trunk of the car? Right, yeah, it's all that stuff. Yeah, he's like, guess what? We got him. We matched the DNA with the guy. You'll never believe who it is. And my dad's like, oh, I know who it is. Like, I know who committed the murder. I just couldn't prove it. Like, I just didn't have the smoking gun, but now we have it. And it's like celebration and justice. My dad was like, oh, we got him. Like, we've got the guy. There's just like a welling of justice. We love justice. If I knew the guy got away from murder for like 20 years, we got him. Right? There's something in us that loves those stories, something in us that like awakens to justice. We want a God of justice. Yes? We want a God who treats us fairly. We want a God who treats us rightly. We want a God who is perfectly just and perfectly loving until you think it all the way through. We love justice. So we want a God of justice until we think it all the way through. And Amos does an amazing job of helping us think this all the way through. He describes the scene in Israel this way. Chapter 8, verse 4. Our text for this morning. Hear this, you who trample on the needy and bring the poor of the land to an end. Injustice. You who do injustice. Saying, when will the new moon be over that we may sell grain? 
in the Sabbath that we may offer wheat for sale, that we may make an ephah small and a shekel great and deal deceitfully with false balances, that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals and sell the chaff of the wheat. The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, surely I will never forget any of their deeds. Shall not the land tremble on, a, on this account? And everyone mourn who dwells in it, and all that rise like the, like the Nile, and be tossed about and sink again like the Nile of Egypt? You see, these people, the people of Israel, what we're given a picture of here is the people of Israel are in direct opposition to everything that God has called them to. Everything that God longs for them. I want justice to roll like water and righteousness like ever-flowing streams. God tells us in Micah 6, 8, he says, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Right? But what we see in the nation of Israel is an unjust people. We see a people who he says, says, man, when is the new moon going to be over that we can sell grain? What does that mean? Uh, the new moon is, this, is, a, is, a, is a religious, an Israelite festival, a feast, a feast that is celebrating all that God has done and all that God has produced and all that God has given the people. And these people are like, okay, because of my culture, I've got to go. I've got to participate. And you're not allowed to work. You're not allowed to sell goods. You're not allowed to buy goods. It's just time to just acknowledge all that God has done and just feast. And it's, it's, amazing. it's a good time. It's a good time. And these people are just like, when is this thing going to be over so that I can get back to my kingdom and sell my stuff and do my work? And I want to make more money, right? There's a greedy and corrupt people. When's the Sabbath going to be over? Again, you can't sell. You can't work on the Sabbath. These people are just like, when is this going to be over? It's like the workaholic dad on vacation, man. It's like you're at Disneyland with your kids. And you're like, all right, kids, let's get on the next ride so I can send some emails out. Like, you can get on there, right? Hey, hey, let's go to lunch. Let's go to lunch. I got a conference call. I get on. Why don't you guys go? You know, I don't care. Just shove it down your mouth. I'm going to go get on a conference call, right? It's like, it's like when is this vacation going to be over? God has given them these gifts. I know that illustration cut deep for some of you. Um, God has given them... Saw some elbows flying from some spouses. God has given these, given these gifts, these gifts, these good gifts of Sabbath, of a new moon feast to recognize all these done to increase their humility, to increase their kindness, to increase their justice, to increase their righteousness. And they're just like, when is this going to be over with, right? You have a vacation. It's for your good. It's for the good of your family, for you to invest in them. You're just like, when is this going to be over with, right? It's injustice. And then even when they're not doing religious things, right? They're, in, they're engaged in corrupt activities. They're buying and selling the poor. It's debt slavery, right? They're saying, man, here's a pair of sandals. It says, well, but they buy the needy with sandals, right? They say, here's a pair of sandals. You want some sandals? Here you go. Oh, but you need to work those off. So now I own you. It's a debt that they'll never pay off. They'll never be able to pay it off because the more they have, the more they're given, the more that they owe, and the more that they owe, the more that they have to work, and the more that they work, the more they have to get, and the more they have to get. It's like it's a never-ending cycle of slavery. They're enslaving their own people in a legal way, according to the law, right? It's debt slavery. So it's not it's not slavery like you and I think of. It's they're putting them in so much debt and so much bondage they'll never get out of it. They're adjusting the balances on the scale, right? They're fixing the scale. They're, they're, they're making the scales show that things weigh less, or weigh more than, less than they do, right? So they put the goods in one side, and they put the weight in the other one. They're like, oh, you're going to have to pay more this time. because But they've rigged the scale. 
It's all these unjust practices that are happening in the nation of Israel. The people have become corrupt. They've become the center of their lives. Greed has taken over. They are the driving force of every decision they've made. They've rejected the way of God for the way of self. And God says in verse 7, Surely I've sworn by the pride of Jacob, Surely I will never forget any other deeds. Not one. Why? Perfectly just. He's perfectly just. He can't forget it. If he's perfectly just, he cannot just sweep it under the rug. You and me, right? We're, we're taught, you know, you just got to forgive and forget. Forgive and forget. No. No. God, that's not justice. And God is perfectly just. Because he's perfectly loving, and we want a perfectly loving God, and we want a perfectly just God. But when you think it through, you realize, okay, he can't forget it. Can't just sweep it underneath the rug. He says, will not the earth shake on account of what you've done? I'm going to raise the earth like the Nile. Like, you, you, you realize that justice is going to roll down like water, and you're all going to drown in it. Like, that's what's happening. That's what's happening. That's what's going on here. And some of us might say, man, God's just grumpy. He's a grumpy God. There's a theological truth that you need to understand. If you're a follower of Jesus, you need to understand something. God's never once in all eternity been grumpy. Nor will he ever be. Never once. I'm grumpy. Some of you are like, yeah, you are. I can tell that right now. This morning. No, I'm grumpy. You're grumpy. This past Thursday, I, told, I was telling my wife, I was like, dude, I cannot, like, all day long, I've just been grumpy. I just been frustrated all day long. It's like compounding frustration. Nothing is like, everything is just ticking me off all day long. Just grumpy for no good reason. Like, no good reason. But what you see here is not a grumpy God. What you see here is a guilty people. There's a difference between the two. What you see here is perfect justice. A God who hates injustice because he's perfectly loving you cannot be perfectly loving and just allow injustice and not allow justice to, to create within you a righteous anger you're not grumpy people are guilty there's a difference between the two okay and so his his wrath and his anger towards right and true genuine injustice is righteous and it's good it's a good and only god Doing the things that a good and only God does. He hates injustice because he loves justice. And he loves justice because he loves you. Second theological truth that you need to understand as a Christian is this. God doesn't hold a grudge. Verse 7, surely I will never forget their deeds. You know, he's holding a grudge against me, right? No, he's not. Again, I said it before, it's perfect justice. He's perfectly just. He's not holding a grudge. He's just perfectly just. If he was not perfectly just, he would just sweep it under the rug and forget about it. But he can't because he's perfectly just. And you want him to be perfectly just because if he's not perfectly just, then he can't be perfectly loving. Yet at the same time, we think it all the way through and we think, hang on a second. We've got to ask the hard question. Who am I in this story? Not who's the person sitting next to you or who's the person you want to be. Who am I in the story. We want a perfectly just and perfectly loving God until we think it all the way through and we realize, wait a second, I'm Israel. And that's the second thing that I want you to see this morning is that we, we are Israel. 
We are the ones asking the question, when will the new moon be over that we may sell grain? Right? When will Advent be over so that I can just get back to my life and get back to normal life and get back to my business and get back to my little kingdom and rebuilding my thing? Right? We're Israel. I'm Israel. Right? When will this gathering, will Sunday gathering be over so I can go home and watch football? Like, I'm just, when will it be over? I just want to move on. Like, what, how fast can I get through my quiet time in the morning so I can just get my kids to school and get some peace and quiet in my life? I just want to get my twilight time over so I can get to work and just make more money, feel accomplished in my day. I want to build my kingdom. I want to feel success. I want to feel power. I want to feel all the things that the nation of Israel felt in that day. Work our people constantly doing unjust acts and not even thinking about it. Not even thinking about it. Right now, all over the news, we know, we know that the Uyghur people in Western China are enslaved. In, 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 in concentration, labor concentration camps, producing cotton. And you're wearing it. It's on your back. And we know this is happening. And we know the brands that are still continuing to buy it and just do not give a rip. And we don't care. Ain't nobody got time to research that, look into that, right? Like, I got I to gotta get my Vans, man. I need to wear my Vans. I got to wear my Levi's. You know, some of you are like, man, I don't, I don't need that stuff. I shop at Costco. Yeah, Costco too, baby. All right. They're buying all their stuff from there. And you know, it's not hard to figure this out. It's not just cotton. It's Samsung and Sony. It's technology. We know this. And we're just like, no, nah, I ain't got time for that. It has nothing to do with time, by the way. Just greed, laziness, sinfulness. Just, I just don't. It's cheaper. Be easier. Don't think about it. Just buy it. That's who we are. We are Israel. We are the people taking advantage of others. We are the people rushing through life, ignoring our God to build our own kingdoms. We are greedy people. We are people failing in what God has called us to be. He has told us what is good. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? So in your marriage, is your marriage defined? Are you defined by justice and kindness and humility before God? Is that what your spouse would tell me? Man, my spouse is just just and kind and just humble before God. It's who they are. It's what defines them. In your career. Would your boss or your coworkers say that you are defined by justice and kindness and humility before God? That's just, you just ooze that every day when you come into the office. Judge by your laughter, I'm going to say no. Um, <laughs> in your free time, is that what you're defined by? Would your kids say that your life is defined by justice and kindness and humility before God? Is that what your kids would say? Man, my mom is just just. Okay, fair enough. My dad, man, just kindness, humility before God, that's what marks him. And all of this boils down to a lack of right worship. We don't worship God, we worship ourselves. That's who we are. That is who we are. Worship of a God who loves justice and mercy leads us to acts of love. It's what it does. If you rightly worship God, if you rightly worship Him, it leads us to acts of justice and acts of kindness and acts of humility. But if we're honest, this is not what marks most of us. We are Israel. And it has nothing to do with how busy you are. 
or what season of life you're in, or what's going on in your work, or what's going on with your family, what's going on with your kids. That's everything that you see with who you are. We're sinful, and we're broken, we're an unjust people. And if justice rolls down on us like water, we will all drown. That is the reality of it. And maybe we just need to stop for a minute, and we just need to spend a second just confessing that, and just admitting to God, I'm Israel, and I know you love justice, and I know that you love me, but I'm unjust. It's who I am. And he has sworn by the pride of Jacob that he will not forget a single one of your unjust deeds. You just need to sit in that. That's the hard work we got to do this morning. And only then, only when you swallow that pill, are you ready to turn your gaze to Advent. Advent comes from the Latin word adventus, which means coming. And Advent is the coming of justice. Jesus is the king of justice. That's the last thing I want you to see this morning. Jesus is the king of justice. And Advent is the coming of God's love, yes. And therefore, it must be the coming of God's justice. He is going to let justice roll like water. He's not forgotten a single thing that we've done. Not a single thing. And the just king is coming to bring justice. And we are given a picture of the first advent in Amos that is so beautiful and so amazing. Amos gives it to us in verse 9, chapter 8, verse 9. He says this. This is the very next verse, by the way. After he's listed all those deeds of the nation of Israel, he says this. On that day, declares the Lord. On that day, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. I'll turn your feast into mourning and all your songs of lamentation into lamentation. I'll bring sackcloth on every waist and baldness on every head. I'll make it like the morning for an only son. And the end of it, like a bitter day. That doesn't sound like good news. Unless you know your Bible really well. And leave it to the minor prophets, baby, to deliver good news in that verse. Because that's all good news, by the way. It's all really, really, really good news. Um, and only the way that minor prophet could deliver it. Here's what's going on. 400 plus years before the coming of Jesus, Amos is giving us a picture of the end of the second advent. This is the cross of Christ, and he's painting it for us beautifully. I want to stack this next to uh, the account that Luke gives us of the cross of Christ. Here's what Amos says. Amos says, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. Luke says this in Luke 23, verse 44 through 46. He says, it was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the land until the ninth hour while the sun's light failed. The curtain of the temple is torn too. And Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Amos says, I will turn your feast into mourning and all of your songs into lamentation. What are the people in Israel doing during the time of the crucifixion of Christ? What did they gather for? Everybody's coming to Jerusalem for what? Passover. Feasting, songs, delight. Passover, baby, let's go. What happens? Luke 23 verse 47. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God saying, certainly this man was innocent. 
And all the crowds that had assembled for the spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home beating their breasts, returned home to their Passover feasting, no, to mourning, returned home to their Passover songs of praise, no, to lamenting, beating their breasts. God has flipped celebration on its head and turned it into mourning, the mourning like that of an only son. God has sent his only son, the king of justice. And he has let justice roll like water all over his only son. Every ounce, every ounce of your injustice was laid on Christ, the king of justice. And he bore it on the cross. It's the key is the king of justice. It's like the judge who sits, who sits on the throne of justice. And your, your unjust deeds are read, are read before him. And he hears your unjust deeds. And he cannot forget a single one of them. He remembers them all. He will not forget them. And he racks the gavel and he says, you are guilty. You are guilty of every ounce of it. And then the king of justice removes his royal robes. He steps off of his podium. He comes down to you and he puts on your rags. And he wraps you in his royal robes. And he says, but I'll take the punishment for that. Now you're guilty. And justice is going to roll like water. But I'll take it. I'll take it on me. That is what the first advent has done. It's what the king of justice has come to do in the first advent. He's come to bring justice, to bring judgment on the world, but he places it on himself. And for those of you who are in Christ, for those of you who have bowed your knee to the king of justice and you've made him the king of your heart, and you say, man, I don't want to be an unjust person. You are king and I'm not, right? He has done that for you. You are cleansed. And then we turn our gaze to the second advent, the second returning of the king of justice, where he's coming again to judge the world. And we know this is going to be a dark and terrible day. We don't want to be a part of it, where every single one of our unrighteous deeds will not have been forgotten, been written down. And when he opens that book to your page and your name, if you are in Christ, it is dripping with his blood. It is coated in his blood. It's, in, it's illegible. You can't read it. King of justice has given himself for you. Not because you deserved it, not because you earned it, not because you did something cool that caught his attention, but because he's perfectly loving and therefore perfectly just. And we see that displayed in no other way than on the cross of Christ. Perfect justice and perfect love. Lastly, Amos does a beautiful job of turning our gaze to the second advent the return of Christ. You see, we are a people who live in the space post-Amos, post-Christ on the cross. We live in a space where we can look back and we can praise God for all that he has given us in Christ. And yet we look around our world, you turn on the news, and you, what do you see? Injustice everywhere, right? Our world is racked by sin and injustice. It is everywhere, everywhere. Pain and sorrow, corruption and greed, and injustice is everywhere. And we know 
you know that you need that king to come again. And so we're a people who turn our gaze to the second advent and we say, come, Jesus. We need you again. And Amos paints this picture of the second coming of Christ in Amos 9, 11 through 15. And we're out of time, but I'm going to go through this quickly. It says this, in that day, in that day, I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen and repair its branches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old. Right? What's the, the booth of David? It's the house of David, the kingdom of Israel. I'm going to raise it back up. I'm going to restore it. I'm going to rebuild it. The king is coming again. The king of justice is coming. I'm going to rebuild the kingdom, an eternal, everlasting kingdom. We see this promised again and again and again and again throughout all the Old Testament. Jesus is king. The king, the just king, is coming again to rebuild the kingdom. That they may possess the remnant of Edom. And all the nations who are called by my name declares the Lord who has done this. Jesus declares this 400 plus years before he ever comes. He says this, I know that Israel is God's chosen people. Israel is, is, the, is, is uh, the nation set apart for God. They're the people that he has set apart for himself, for his glory. But look what he says. All the nations, every nation is going to be given this opportunity to call on his name. The first advent awakens us. The gospel is extended to the nations and the poor and the marginalized and the immigrants from any tribe, from any tongue, from any nation can call upon the name of Christ. And he, this is for them. He's going to restore them. He is the one doing this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper. And the treader of grapes, him who sows seeds. And the mountains shall, shall drip sweet wine. And all the hills flow with it. This is a weird language, right? What is he saying? This is, what, this is what's going on. He's saying we're going to need way more people to deal with the harvest than we, deal, when, than we need people who are going to plant the crops. Because God is going to provide such an abundance of everything. An abundance of love, an abundance of justice, an abundance of peace, an abundance of all the good things. It's the rebuilding of the Garden of Eden. We're going to need people who just like manage the abundance. There's going to be so much of it, so much good. The hills and the mountains are going to be flowing with wine. It's just goodness everywhere you look. And we're going to need people to manage the goodness because it's going to be so stinking much. I will restore the fortunes of my people, and they shall rebuild the ruined cities that inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine. They shall make gardens and eat their fruit. All of the cities that have been destroyed by injustice will be rebuilt in a new heavens, and a new earth. The new king, the king of justice is coming to, to redo, to rebuild everything that justice has torn apart. A new heavens and a new earth and new cities rebuilt by the king of justice to reweave the fabric of creation to what it was meant to be. A place of peace and prosperity where we are with our God and in his glory. The king of kings will do this. Jesus does this. I'll plant them on their land and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them says the Lord. For generations and generations, for millennia, people have been uprooted from their land 
by injustice all over the world. Jesus says, no more of that. You will never again be uprooted by injustice. The land that I give you, you'll possess for all eternity. It's yours. I'm the king of justice. There will no longer be any injustice. Only sweet, sweet peace. Friends, we are a people of the in-between. For those of us who are in the room this morning and you are in Christ, man, I am praying that God is awaking you to what life would be like without the king of justice. If he never came, if he stood underneath the curse of sin, if he was a God of not perfect justice, and he stood underneath the not perfect love, he stood underneath the weight of sin, looking to the second advent with no hope. But we are people who are filled with hope, know that we've been saved, know that we've been cleansed by the blood of Christ, and can look with hope to the second advent. For those of you who are not in Christ, I pray that you would turn to the king of justice, that you would know that he is a king of perfect justice, and therefore a king of perfect love. And he has loved you perfectly, and he's executed justice perfectly. And all you have to do is turn to him. Surrender your life to him. Make the king of justice the king of your heart. And you too can look forward to the second advent. And say, come again, king of justice. Come again, king of kings. Let's pray. Jesus, we long to see you. We long to have you with us. We long to have you usher in an eternity of justice. And we know that it's in your kindness and your mercy that you've stayed your hand. We know it's in your kindness and your mercy that there are people in this room right now in your kindness you've waited to this moment. Would you turn their hearts towards you? Would they see perfect justice and perfect love on display? Would they cry out to you in love? And even those of us who are in you, who have given our lives to you, Will we see all that we have in you? And might we imagine for a moment what it would be like if we didn't? Would you increase our hunger for you? And therefore increase our delight and our joy and our perfectly just and our perfectly loving King. We pray these things in your sweet name. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Friends, let's stand and let's just sing that over one another. Let's declare this truth in this place as we get ready to leave.